Hey, you're restored at George Mason University. Today, there's a bit of a different episode. Um, Mrs. Valerie Haugie uh, joins Dr. Emily Jones to discuss the topic of social emotional learning, movement, and mindfulness in educational classroom settings. Um, they talk about Mrs. Haugie's personal and professional journey in deciding to integrate SEL movement and mindfulness into her middle school English classroom. Um, they're also going to talk about Valerie's experiences using a variety of SEL and mindfulness resources and strategies with her learners. And then Valerie shares her perception on how SEL movement and mindfulness in the classroom has influenced her interactions with learners and their classroom climate and culture towards learning, self-awareness, and self-regulation. So without further delay, I'll patch in the full episode. I hope you enjoyed the listen. All right. I'm here with Mrs. Valerie Haugi. She's a middle school educator uh, at Delavan Middle School in Delavan, Illinois. Uh, Valerie, thanks so much for joining us today to talk a little bit about mindfulness and social emotional learning in the classroom. Hey, Dr. Jones. I'm so happy to meet with you and kind of share a little bit about what I've learned over the past few years about mindfulness and social emotional learning in the classroom. Well, we'll get started here. So um, tell me about what got you into mindfulness um, and SEL as an educator and how has it um, shaped the way that you think and approach teaching? Sure. Um, I want to preface this by saying I'm not a psychologist or a counselor. And as Dr. Jones knows, I'm not a yogi. I'm just a teacher. However, wellness in the classroom is a topic in which over the past few years, I've really become invested in. And I started this personally in 2018. So 2018 just was shaping up to be a tricky year. I was struggling with anxiety and feeling overwhelmed. My daughter had started kindergarten that year. She was having some behavioral problems. And we in my junior high just had a tricky class. We had um not a you would we wouldn't say a difficult class in general, but there were so many complex needs that our kids had that year. And then in February of 2018, um, the Parkland school shooting happened. And I had nothing to do with that situation. I was in no way related to it, but it really hit me hard. And by March, my head was just not in a good place. Uh, so I spoke with my doctor about it and she recommended that I try an app called the Calm app, um, which is where I had my first experience with mindfulness. So the first time I listened to a lesson, my brain just raced the entire time. And I thought, how can I possibly focus on my breathing and let go of all of the madness that's going on in my in my brain? Um, all of the quiet of the lesson seems to just amplify the noise in my head. But I did stick with it because I had promised my doctor that I would. So at six o'clock every evening, which seemed to be the time when my anxiety was really at its worst, I would go to my bedroom and do a lesson every day. And to my surprise, I started looking forward to that time. And it became a time when I could focus on the present rather than worrying about what had happened or worrying about what was going to happen. Um, and then in my daily life, at school and outside of school, I found myself using these strategies to calm myself. And I thought, wow, how great would it have been to have had these tools before I was 34 years old? And this really led me 
to seeking resources that would allow me to bring it to my students. Mm -hmm. And that's what started me on my journey of finding as much information as I could to bring to um, all of the students in my classes. And that's amazing. I think the the personal tie-in and how it influenced you and your your um, approach, and then looking for information on how it could then perhaps translate and influence the lives of your students is really powerful. Um, there's a lot of information out there about mindfulness and SEL. Um, what did you learn? What were some of those evidence? Um, based strategies or what was some of the evidence that was compelling to you as you began to consume uh, resources and information to help you discern whether or not this was something that you were going to implement in your classrooms? Yeah, well, when we talk about SEL in children, I think it's really important to talk about the science behind it. Um, and I was reading some information from Dr. Daniel Siegel. He is a Harvard-trained psychiatrist, and he broke it down in a very simple way that made sense to me. Um, he said that the brain is broken down into three parts. So if you can make a fist with your hand and you put your thumb underneath your fingers and you wrap your fingers around your thumb and hold it up, you have um, the three parts of the brain. So your forearm represents your spinal cord. And your wrist is your brainstem. These are the primitive parts of your brain, the reptilian brain. And the brainstem handle, handles your basic functions. It makes your heart beat and your lungs breathe. Um, then you have your, your thumb, which is your limbic system. And this is our survival mode, if you will. It's fight, flight, or freeze. And these are the basic responses that we use before we learn strategies about responses. And then your fingers, the hand, is your prefrontal cortex. And those sit on top of your limbic system. And Siegel calls these fingers, the prefrontal cortex, your upstairs brain. So everything you've ever learned in life lives in your prefrontal cortex. And it's not fully developed until about age 25. Um, the prefrontal cortex also contains pathways to strategies like how to use empathy, how to apologize, how to organize memories, and these are not skills that you're born with. They're just, we just are born with a structure. It takes repeated lessons to form these skills. And so this is where regulating emotion comes in. Dr. Siegel refers to the prefrontal cortex as the lid. And so when that lid is on, everything you've learned can be applied because that prefrontal cortex is intact. You can be kind, you can stay calm, et cetera. Um, but what happens when you become dysregulated? You flip your lid and all reasoning and lessons go out the window. And we see this in babies because they don't have any strategies, right? They're new. And so they flip their lid constantly. They're constantly flipping their lid until their prefrontal cortex develops. Flipping our lid takes the prefrontal cortex out and leaves that reptilian brain, that survival only brain. And examples of that fight, that fight, flight, or fight, if we're or flee, if we're looking at the fight, it can look like throwing, screaming, um, I'm sorry, throwing, swinging their arms, crying, screaming, or panicking. Examples of flight can look like running away, hiding, or shaking. Um, what I see the most in junior high kids is the freeze. And that's just shutting down, being unresponsive, freezing up and not seeming to be able to think clearly. 
And we need to remember that the threat doesn't have to be real. It can be perceived. Your student probably isn't facing a tiger, but they could be in the midst of a fight with a loved one or the knowledge that they're going to have to take a test, which might be just as scary to them. So in most cases, real threats are few and far between, but perceived threats happen day in and day night, or day, day in and day out. So dysregulation of emotions is a real problem, and we've seen this, and our goal as teachers is to get those lids back on, to get them back regulated. And that's where SEL comes in. Now, you've been teaching um, junior high learners for how long? Almost 10 years. 10 years. And yes. we've had quite a few changes in society from COVID to social injustice, racial unrest. And okay. um, there's a lot going on in the lives of, of young people in small town communities and, in, and also in urban and suburban settings. From your experience, how have classrooms and schools changed um, as of late? How have you seen these manifest in your learners uh, in your school? That's such a great question, Dr. Jones. Uh, man, anxiety, not just with students, but with all of us, anxiety has really skyrocketed. And it's so concerning um, that they're having conferences just on this, um, how anxiety has risen since COVID, really. Um, I went to a conference last year and it was called Anger, Anxiety, and ADHD in the Classroom, which, oof, that is uh, an issue, right? Yeah. And Janine Holleran, the presenter, she stated that 31.9% of youth have an anxiety disorder um, and 8.3% of youth ages 13 to 18 have an anxiety disorder that's considered severe. So um, the CDC says that 11% of kids had ADHD in 2017, but the diagnosis rate went up 41% between 2003 and 2012, and it's gone up since with COVID. Um, and then with COVID, we have we have that insecurity for children who depend on meal programs. Thankfully, we're coming out of that, but school cancellations really heightened food insecurity for many students. We had a complete loss of social interaction a lack of structured routines that leads to increased screen time. Um, that leads to decreased physical activity, um, anxiety, depression, an increase of technological advances such as games and social media and electronic communication. That means less free play. Um, and so we're not playing if we're on technology. I know you're a huge component of free play with kids and they really lost that for over a year, two years, maybe. Mm -hmm. um, and so we know that social and emotional learning increases academic performance. We know that it reduces aggression and emotional distress. And we know that it can um, lead to improved attitude towards self and others, um, which is why it's so important. And I really wanted to, you know, people can say what they will about it, but I wanted to see evidence. So I found uh, this this presenter, Lisa Flynn, who was offering a yoga in the classroom seminar. And I went to it and I was a fish out of water because I had never been to a yoga class in my entire life. But she had some really powerful data about the program that she used in the classroom. She did a case study on a school in Des Moines, Iowa. Um, it's called Edmonds Elementary. 
And it's a school that's largely comprised of refugee families. It has 30 plus languages spoken just at that one school. Um, this school has 99% of students coming from low income family. And you can appreciate the difficulty that the language barrier itself would present. Um, so Lisa Flynn went in and she trained the teachers at this school on yoga and mindfulness in the classroom. And the teachers did this uh, program with their, their students twice a day. In doing so, they were able to decrease discipline referrals from nearly 1,200 to 300 in that school year. And suspensions were virtually eliminated. So I thought, I mean, if we could just take that behavior portion out, if we could eliminate having kids leave class for suspensions, whether they're in school or out of school, having kids leave class for behavior, that alone, not to mention the goodness it would be for their mental health, this has to be something that we implement and implement often so that the kids can really get a feel for it so they can start regulating themselves on their own without the teachers present. Have you seen, yeah, yeah I think that, that like having those case examples are powerful uh, uh -huh. be able to translate that to your setting, you know, so, um, your school environment and the demographics of whom you work with might not be the same as those uh, in Des Moines, Iowa, that case study. You're right. Mm -hmm. But being able to recognize that it could happen in that extreme um, environment with that demographic and that population, and then bring it to your classroom to meet the needs of your students. Uh, did you have that same or a similar experience where those practices that you um, uh, had learned about and some of that evidence and science behind mindfulness and SEL, were you seeing that meet the needs of your learners in similar ways to uh, what we saw in some case studies? Absolutely. Yes. I am going to start actually with my daughter, who I referenced earlier, having behavioral issues in kindergarten, because she was one of the first people that it clicked that it was actually working. Um, and then I'm going to move on to some class examples. But I was practicing with her at home before I actually brought it into the classroom. And um, she had a little buddy at school who was really upset at the end of the day. And Harper was looking everywhere for something. And my teacher friend was like, what are you looking for? And she looked for a piece of paper and she was looking for a Hoberman sphere. And I'm not sure if you know what a Hoberman sphere is, but it's it's like a ball that expands and then it goes back to a smaller shape and it expands. Mm -hmm. And my friend didn't have a Hoberman sphere, but my daughter balled up a piece of paper and then drew it out and said, take, take a deep breath with me. And then she took a deep breath and then they crumpled it back and she closed the ball and she took a deep breath and she crumpled it back. And I thought, oh my gosh, it's as simple as that. It's, yeah. it's deep breathing, just something like that. And so I've noticed that with my students, first of all, and I will tell you a little down the road, um, I have different names for the days that we do but the kids beg for it. And at first I thought, hmm, are they trying to get out of work? But really it's it's no longer than two to three minutes a day. I teach seven classes in a day um, and each class is 45 minutes. So really two to three minutes, they're not missing much work, but they will come in and they will say, Mrs. Haugie, 
I've had a really bad day. Can we can we go to the special place? And that is just a guided imagery that I do with them. And I put on soft music and I walk them through. Um, it's through the yoga in the classrooms. She has um, some cards and and we talk about we are going to this place in our minds and we are calm and we are unique and we are important and it's really just a way to quiet their minds. If we don't have time, they'll say, can we do the countdown to breathing where we'll take some deep breaths and get our mind right? Sometimes we will just sit and listen to soft music and I can tell when they need it because they will come in stressed. Um, another uh, student of mine who really struggles with anger, he just really struggles with anger, will say, Mrs. Haugi, I tried to do that. I was really upset, but I sat down and and I tried to do my breathing exercises. And just the fact that he's recalling those breathing exercises yeah. mm-hmm. is proof that he knows he knows that it helps, right? So he is recognizing that just taking a couple deep breaths every once in a while might give you enough time to calm down, to get your words back, to get out of that fight, fight or freeze, to be able to think, I better not say what I want to say, or my fists better not do what I want them to do. Yeah. 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 So what are you doing? Uh, what okay strategies that the, the you have found that, you know, you really like, your students really like, yes. that are easy to implement, or maybe they're complex to implement, but now that your students are into a routine, it's not complex anymore because it's part of our regular um right you know uh, yeah so what are you doing in your classroom and just as a clarifying uh case here your your discipline specific licensure your content specialization is i teach um i my licensure is six through 12 um language arts and social sciences so i teach i just take teach gen ed english um seventh and eighth grade this year i've taught I've taught seventh, eighth, freshman, sophomore, junior, senior, but this year I'm just doing seventh and eighth. Okay. English. Yes. Not everybody's favorite. Mm-hmm. My favorite. This is why, yeah, that's why when I went to the yoga thing, I was like, well, I'd be a little more comfortable if we were reading a book, but I'm willing to get this a try. Um, so what I, what we do is really easy. And one, one of the quotes I got from a book, which is so true is, Never in the history of um, people freaking out has saying calm down ever worked. So we need to make sure we're not just telling kids to calm down because it, it doesn't work. We have to make sure that we are showing them. We can't write our strategies on a whiteboard and expect them to get it. We need to show them in our actions over and over and over for them to get the strategies. So um, the first I would say is just calming and relaxation behaviors. This sometimes um, helps after lunch, which can be a high conflict, high energy time is when they come in after lunch. It doesn't always have to be, but there's always a lot going on. So this can be breathing activities. Um, I talked about the Hoberman ball and you can, I just got mine on Amazon, but we take a deep breath in as we expand the ball and then we breathe out as we put the ball back down and we do it two or three times, which takes just a few seconds, but it kind of centers us, it calms us, it brings our focus back to the breathing. 
we can count up breathing. So if you put your hand out, like you're going to, um, I don't know, you just have your fingers all spread out and you kind of draw up. So if you put your hands, uh, your left hands up and you're looking at it, you draw up with your one finger up your pinky, you take a deep breath in. And then when you go down the other side of the pinky, you take a deep breath out. And you take a deep breath in as you go up your ring finger and a deep breath out. The kids love to to lead this. They can stand up at the front and do the leading of the breathing activity. It's easy, but it gets them five deep breaths, which is usually enough to kind of calm them down, get them out of the maybe anxiety or loudness that they're coming from. Um, coloring is always a great activity. Progressive muscle relaxation. So you could put on soft music and you can, um, you know, have them start and we're going to drop our shoulders. We're going to relax our arms down through our hands. Relax our legs down through our feet. Um, very simple, just a way to kind of tune out the world. Distraction is great if somebody's really just amped up. Um, I like to play the alphabet grounding exercise. You can do this with real little kids up to adults. All right, we're going to take animals. A is alligator. Who's got B? We have a bumblebee. Who's got C? We have a cheetah. Who's got D? We have a dolphin. Um, just a simple distraction game will get you um, off whatever maybe difficulty they're on fidgets i love fidgets and they don't have to be fancy don't go and buy the fancy fidgets 3m makes dr jones you know those command strips that you stick on the wall mm -hmm. Mm -hmm. okay you know the velcro ones the velcro ones yeah yep yes so if you just put one of those under a desk that's a nice fidget that a student can kind of rub their finger on um just a texture it's just a grounding exercise that they can feel it cutting up pool noodles so they just have a circle that they can hold in their hand it's not loud it's not distracting they can twist it um, any kind of movement wiggling fingers and toes rolling their wrists and neck um, shoulders and ankles if they need to get out if they need to get out energy doing wall push-ups Taking a dance break and everybody gets up and does a crazy dance move for 30 seconds. Um, and then if I, I like sensory, so calming sounds, aromas, um, having like a tactile sand tray with the rake that you can go up and down. Natural light source, if at all possible, I don't use fluorescent lights. I like the natural light source calming images. I will say, um, be careful on the scents because scents can be a trigger. Um, a student might have, um, you know, have had a really bad experience and the scent was vanilla at that time. So I kind of ask, Hey, does anybody like really hate lavender? And if they do, we don't use that scent. We just move on to something else. Um, but again, the best way to, to teach them is to do it with them, them to do these activities with them. Um, Sometimes the big kids will feel silly doing some of the, the what they would say, the younger kids stuff. But once you do it with them, um, it's a break for them. And it's kind of a brain break for them, too, which kids love. 
any kind of break, you know? Um, and then, I, you know, that I love this. One of the best tools we have is to play. So play is just a natural stress reliever. I think that it's really important that sometimes we throw our lesson plans out the window and we play, whether it's going outside or it's playing two truths and a lie, um, word or talking games. Um, I know I've told you this before, but one thing that came out of COVID that was so, so unexpected to me was during COVID, the cafeteria situation was a mess and the junior high kids ended up getting a recess. And that was the best thing that I, 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 so after COVID, I was like, we can never not give junior high kids a recess. They need playtime. They need time that is not going straight to the cafeteria and eating and coming back and sitting for three hours. Mm -hmm. And so we've been able to build in, build in recess right after lunch. And that just that unstructured playtime is so important, even for the big kids. So any way you can build SEL into playtime, I think is a major win. Yeah. Oh, do you want me to tell you about my days? My kids do like my days. Yes. I, I think they're yes. clever. Okay. So we, um, I have found that naming the days gets us prepared and it also keeps me on track because sometimes I get excited about what we're doing and I forget. So we have Mindfulness Monday. We have Gratitude Day where sometimes it's just as simple as saying what we're grateful for. And that might be that you know, we're grateful that corn dogs are on the lunch menu. I mean, that's something to be grateful for on some Tuesdays, right? Um, Wellness Wednesday, Thoughtful Thursday, and Feeling Good Friday. Um, so I do have just one last thing. Dr. Jones, am I going over on your time? You're, this is fabulous. Your time. Okay. It's your time. Mm -hmm. um, one thing I mentioned earlier is I do guided imagery and if you if you don't know guided imagery, you can look on the Calm app or YouTube has it. But basically, it's just somebody kind of speaks to you. We do one where you follow a path and it, it talks, you know, it's basically the kids see in their mind where they want to be. And it's just a way to calm them down, bring their mind to the breath. Um, but one important thing that I think we need to remember is that we need to choose our words and phrases that offer options. Um mindfulness is never required in my class so I say things like I invite you to join me um you may notice this one option is this but I'm never going to require it because there are students who simply don't feel safe sitting in a room with their eyes closed or they don't feel safe letting their guard down around others and we need to be mindful of that and I think respectful of that and usually they come around, but we just need to make sure that we're never forcing anyone into this because then it doesn't become an enjoyable or a helpful activity. Yeah. Um, and so, and that's okay. So I generally say, I invite you to join us. And if you choose not to just please sit quietly at your desk until we're done with this activity. Um, and also just to be mindful of using gender neutral and inclusive terms um, and developmentally appropriate practices. So a kindergartner is not going to practice deep breathing for 15 minutes, uh, whereas a teenager might need more than just a breathing countdown some days. And it all is just on gauging how the class is. Some classes we breeze right through it, and there are days where we need more, and that's okay too. So you've been on 
this really exciting journey. It sounds like since 2018, where yes, you recognized in your own life a need for change, um, and you mm-hmm. sought it out, and spent a lot of time being a critical consumer of the information and resources that are available for these new practices that um, teachers sometimes are asked to try. Sometimes they're encouraged to try. Sometimes um, they're they're required to implement and right um your discernment in recognizing uh through probably trial and error what works for your students um what works for you and um it it sounds like this is a practice that you have just built into your your daily routines and it allows you to sort of really be responsive to your learners um, throughout the week, throughout the lesson, and um, respond to them and meet them where they are so that they know um, that you're a caring adult who recognizes that they are not just a student in the classroom to meet standardized tests or to earn certain grades, but there are other parts of them that are really important to develop and foster and listen to. Listen yes, to those are the most important parts of them. The tests are all just the extra. Right. Oh. And um, I've got one more question for you. This is sort of a, an off the cuff here. Um, okay. You've been practicing this uh, for a couple of years. Uh-huh. How have other teachers in your building or other colleagues that you've talked with and worked with um, how have they responded to you implementing these new strategies in your classroom? Um, have they been responsive in a favorable way? Have they been hesitant? Have they asked you to share your information with them? Um, what's been what's been the feel? Is this a uh, Mrs. Haugie's doing it, um, or is this a district wide thing um, that's starting to catch on? I'm curious to know how other educators um, in your sphere are responsive to mindfulness and um, social-emotional activities in the classroom? Yeah, it's a it's a little bit of both. I wouldn't say it is district-wide. Um, it is a little bit of a how-key thing. And you knowing me, uh, if I had to describe myself, I'm kind of, I'm kind of the fluffy teacher in the hallway. You know, I'm the one who has the snacks and I'm the, I'm the one who, um, has kind of traditionally been the fee- the the teacher you go to if you're having a bad day or mm-hmm. if if you're struggling. So that is maybe more my persona. So so I think in the junior high this is more my thing. However, the elementary teachers have been very interested. Um especially we have actually in the junior high we have just a, it's a very small school and we have a junior high hallway, but there is one classroom in the junior high hallway that is an elementary resource room and so we have um some special needs elementary students down there and they are obsessed with what we do and so they come in and do social emotional learning with us they do the hoberman sphere um the the ball the breathing ball and then some of the classes that my daughter has been in, their teachers have been like, okay, so she talks about this. What are we doing? And so I feel like it's definitely caught on more in the elementary 
than it has in the junior high. I'm not sure if that's just because, like I said, I'm that, I'm just kind of the more emotional teacher, you could say. Um, but I am encouraged that the kids coming up know what mindfulness is. So I'm not totally, you know, reinventing the wheel every year. At least they have some semblance. So when they come in, I can say, oh, okay, well, let's do that breathing activity. Or you did this. Okay, let's let's do that. And what I loved this year is I had a couple kids who had done some guided imagery with some other teachers. And they said, could we write some? Like, could we write some guided imagery? And I was like, yes, you could write that. That would be amazing. So we have had, we've done some guided imagery. One um, buddy, he wrote about like a cabin in the woods and the leaves were falling from the trees and you could hear the fire crackle. And it was so amazing that it, he liked it so much that he wanted to be a part of it. And so I made sure that I told all of the students, you know, this student wrote this, isn't that odd? You know, he like, he inputted this. He's in charge of our social emotional learning together. So I think that the younger they get it, the more they feel like they can be a part of it. Rather it just being teacher led, it can be more student led. I love that. That's really powerful. I love that too. They're so great. Yeah. Those junior high kids, they're just the best. They're just the best. They are. They are. Well, so we've, um, I think what's so neat about what it is that you're doing is um, the journey that you have taken to identify an area of need in your your own self, and then and then implement that into your pedagogy and your your practices that um, have influenced your your students and and um, ultimately changed the way that you sort of approach teaching. But it hasn't been a radical. Um, I've got to cut down on my content time or my instruction or or it's really been integrated and infused in a way that's just part of your practice and part of your classroom climate, helping students to get ready to learn and to kind of recenter and focus on and what it is they're feeling and how they can harness those feelings and emotions um, in a positive way during the school day. And as we think about training beginning teachers, physical educators, classroom teachers, we think about training uh, future principals and administrators. Um, I think having stories like yours and accounts like yours um, as ones that we can talk about and we can learn from will really be value added as we think about how schools are being responsive to the changing demographic of, of children and, and society. And so we really thank you for your time um, and sharing your journey and your story with us. And, you know, here's to hoping that it inspires someone else to go on their own journey uh, as a professional or as an individual and uh, consider how they might reframe or reshape their thoughts about mindfulness and social emotional um, learning in their, their own life and their, their classroom setting. So thank you, Mrs. Haugi. We very much appreciate it. And until next time. Thank you so much. I've loved being here and have a wonderful evening.